ladies and gentlemen, it is officially 2022. And I am here with the man, the legend, T-Star. What do you have to say for yourself, Tyler? I'm happy we made it here. <laughs> uh, I, am I couldn't too, be bro. happier that we're... I feel like I say we, I couldn't be happier every single episode. That Which would mean I'm just on like an ever-ascending slope of happiness. But I feel like that's got to be true. I love it though, bro. Yeah. I'm glad that I, that's where your mind naturally gravitates. Pressing record on the podcast is like, it's a dopamine rush like no other. I'd have to agree. And uh, especially getting into what we're planning to be such a great year coming out of a pretty spotty previous year, man. Yeah, uh, definitely it's some, spotty. It, it's been some trying times mm-hmm. to say the least, but we're here, we're doing it. And, uh, it's time to ring the the new year in, bro. I don't know what else to say. We got a pretty yeah. little episode lined up today. We're going through some news. We're going to have a talk about something I've been wanting to talk with you about for quite a while, Tyler. And that's video game collecting. Yeah, man. I'm really excited to talk about that. I I think that we're long overdue to have a full topic dedicated to this in specific. So... I I think that we're going to get quite a lot out of that one. Yeah, and I also feel like this is something we're definitely not going to get in one go. This is something that will be revisited in the future. And definitely. it's something it's something we're going to talk about regularly. I mean, a, a portion of what we talk about on the podcast is collecting. It's a, a lot about physical games and whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's cool to hone in on it and just have a full discussion on it. Uh, I've been dying for it. I'd, I'd like to hear a lot about what you think of, you know, the collecting scene and some of your personal interests in collecting, you know, maybe we haven't touched upon before. Definitely. And I, I, I kind of keep quiet on this because you're kind of the, um, the de facto like collector expert. Um, so I tend to just defer to you in most of this stuff, but I have, I have quite a bit to talk about on my own end. So pretty excited to get into it but um yeah that'll be our discussion topic yeah i, I hope you mean between the two of us because i wouldn't call myself an expert between I the know. two of us for <laughs> sure yeah that is i what know I mean. enough i know enough but uh the enthusiasm is definitely there with me definitely and it's fluctuated and well. it's fluctuated yeah. up and down you know throughout the years so that that's the type of thing we're going to talk about Absolutely. you know regarding it uh, but the top five is a little bit different from what we usually do. A lot of a lot of the time we're listing off games or characters, you know, things like that that fall into a certain category, but this is a bit more personal and a lot more broad. Yeah. So what is it, it Tyler? Is. We're talking about our top five gaming accomplishments or achievements. I guess accomplishments we'll go with. Yeah. Uh yeah. So this is gonna be totally personal to us. Totally like a little bit like humble braggy, uh, but you know what? We don't do it often. So uh, and it's it's stuff that is not anything world changing. At least my stuff isn't. It's just things that we're proud of ourselves internally, because th- that's what gaming is all about, Sterling, like setting your own goals, achieving them and getting satisfaction out of the gameplay. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about, some kind of measurables in that category. Yeah, some 
uh, I mean, looking at my list, some are, you know, feats that were accomplished, but some are just feel good accomplishments that, you know, like I said, some just single player or multiplayer, simple things, you know, nothing, Mm -hmm. things that so many other people have done, obviously, uh, but things that impact us, you know, and this is a list you can make multiple times over. There's Definitely. a lot of a lot of what we do with gaming and of involves us doing something in it to feel accomplished about, you know, even if it's just completing it. Like I said, that's what it's all about. Yep. So I'm looking forward to that, dude. That's going to be a pretty good top five. But the news happens to be a little bit Lego related. First time for everything. <laughs> we're not Lego collectors on the Star Road podcast, but definitely not, not yet. But, but we may, yeah, you never yeah. know. <laughs> but Legos are definitely in the talks because we got. Well, first of all, we were going to go into this and really just bring up the Sonic set. Mm-hmm. We've seen the Super Mario sets come out. I, I've been a, a fan of them from afar. Obviously, I haven't picked up any Super Mario Lego items. Yeah, they have a Lego store at a mall near here, and I was actually able to get to just do like a little run through with Mario kind of going through one of the courses or whatever. And it was pretty, it was, yeah, yeah, it was really fun. This was a while ago. No shit. I don't think you mentioned it. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, I, I always wanted to get just the Mario, but you can't do that. No. Um, but yeah, they're coming out with Sonic and this one was the one that we originally were talking about, like you said, and, uh, I watched the trailer for it and everything. And I was very interested by this because it's like a build your own, like green hill zone, basically like just rearrange the course however you want, similar to the Mario one. And and I think that that is such a cool concept. Yeah, and you know something? They uh, they marketed this a bit different than they did the Super Mario sets. I mm. feel like with the Mario sets, they showed a lot of action and the functionality. But yep. I think with this, they, uh, you know, like you said, you know, we watched the trailer uh, that IGN uploaded. And the music was very nice, very chill. Mm-hmm. And they kind of marketed it more as... <clears throat> like a a display piece for adults than they did a functional fun course. Like obviously, you know, you have like the green Hill zone loop. Sonic's not going to take that loop. No, but, but it, they, you know, they kind of are marketing the whole, like, Oh, for adults too, you know, like, uh, which is cool. And it makes it gives, I'm definitely intrigued by it, but that wasn't actually the most exciting Lego announcement we got. Not at all. This morning, uh, and, you know, and, and you were you were on the road this morning, but I, I was, was hunkered down and I got a notification from Nintendo and I said, wow, we're talking about Legos and they lay this shit on us. So uh, speaking of Super Mario Legos, they just uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this was the announcement, but it's available now. Uh, as well as the Sonic. Sonic came out New Year's Day. But Super Mario Luigi's Mansion expansion set. Which is really neat. We feel strongly about this. Yeah, I we're both big Luigi's Mansion fans. Um, 
And I think that branching this from just the main Mario base set is such a, a like a noteworthy thing and just really feels nice. Yeah. And, and we talked about this earlier and I said, uh, you know, I went through the comments a little bit and everybody was saying the same thing that I guess I was thinking, but didn't really articulate, you know, and that's that it's so nice to see Luigi's mansion, like really be solidified as a Nintendo franchise, like a, alongside Mario, alongside all these other yeah, big a mainstay. Yeah. In its own right. It's got, you know, it's been getting some marketing attention. I mean, ever since three, it just seems to be more in the public eye. Definitely. Whereas before, if you were like really into Nintendo, you knew about it. But on the broad scale, it, you know, mm -hmm. it was more niche, you know. Definitely. But uh, I don't know if I'll be picking any of this up, <laughs> to be honest with yeah. you. But it's cool to see. It is. It is. <laughs> it's cool to see Luigi's Mansion uh, just getting any attention from Nintendo. It's, it's kind of mm. like when Metroid gets attention. Just... Or Star Fox. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, but may maybe, you know, come out with a Star Fox Lego set or something. Or, you know, a game. Yeah, throw us <laughs> some type of bone. You know, I'm not. A, a game is starting to seem like a lot to ask for for some reason. Yeah. But I think we will see a Star Fox on the Switch before it's all said and done. I hope so. Which moves us into a Switch related news topic we decided to do today. Uh,. And that's kind of where we are with Switch game sales. Mm -hmm. Wrapping up 2021, uh, there's been a lot of very high-selling games on the Switch. And uh, reportedly, we, they've sold 92 million. So th that's pretty impressive for a console yeah. these days, Tyler. I got to tell you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they said this thing's on track to outsell, what is it, the Wii? And we all know yeah. the Wii was in many households. The Wii was a big seller at the time, especially in Japan. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go through the list. Top 10 best-selling Switch titles as of this year. Uh, now, this is the end of third quarter from September. Uh, you know, list courtesy of Nintendo Life. So number 10, Tyler, Ring Fit Adventure at 12.21 million. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, that's that's really nice, though. It continues yeah. sort of the trend of, of the Wii Fit and everything, you know, kind of just like keeping that trend alive because all the Wii Fit games really sold well. So it's nice to see that sort of... I, I, I would consider that one fitness franchise, right? And it's nice to see that. Yeah, and, and this was more RPG heavy, you mm -hmm. know, from what we saw from it. And I, I remember a point whenever this was really hard to find and mm, it was definitely. getting, it was getting treated bad on the secondary market. People were paying hundreds for this. Yep. Uh, and I, but I remember seeing it though frequently. I mean, I've seen it in person maybe four or five times. I, I definitely saw it over the holiday season when I was out shopping. Uh, it's definitely still out there on shelves. Yeah, and uh, I don't expect something like this to go on sale anytime soon. But uh, I got to admit, the, the one time I was in maybe in the mood to get this, mm. uh, you know, I think it was something like my girl took me out and was like, anything you want, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I was like, oh, I've really told myself if Ring Fit Adventure would have been like the box itself was in immaculate condition, I would have gotten it. Mm-hmm. No question. The box that was in there, the one they had, was destroyed. Oh, that's sad. Dude, it was so mistreated. I can't believe they didn't mark this thing down. It looked like it was crushed by a golem <laughs> and then placed inside of this glass case and locked up. That's funny. That's I, sad. That sad, though. It's sad, though, because I really would have been like, you know what? I want Ring Fit Adventure. Anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the day I got Origami King. Nice. Uh, Worth it. Yeah, so that was good. Uh, at number nine, Splatoon 2, 12.68 million. Not a surprise to me. Not a surprise. We know that the Splatoon fandom runs deep. It's a game we've we've been interested in these games, but just really haven't. Uh, they never know, go our, on sale. No, you'll see them on these $45 every now and then AAA sales. But at the same time, uh, our attention is so elsewhere. Yeah. And plus, I've often thought from time to time, which maybe this is wrong, but it's a little late. You know, they're coming out with Splatoon 3, and I just feel like it's kind of late to start back at the beginning and work my way through when I already have such a serious backlog. Yeah, definitely. That's the case with a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon, you know, is going to be on the list. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go Pikachu, let's go Eevee, 13.83 million. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, no surprise I like, there. I mean, that was the that was the first Pokemon game on the Switch. I mean, you'd expect to see that. Definitely. And uh, I think that's the biggest point, that it was the first Pokemon entry on the Switch. Mm-hmm. But you have Definitely. to also think about the fact that even with the Go mechanic, because it was much different, obviously. You're not battling obviously, wild Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's so much different about it. But I feel like even if someone like you or I, which I, I mean, I was happy to play it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when, when my girl first got her switch, the, one of the first things she got was let's go Eevee. And you already know I was playing through that mm-hmm. and it was a lot different, but somebody like us, even if not begrudgingly, they would want to play a remake of any sort that's first gen oriented. Right. Right. So that really speaks to the sales I'd say. Yeah. I wonder how that is com- like I wonder how the two pack gets combined into this statistic. Like does the does the two pack count as one or two units? Did That's they do a two I'm pack for Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, I had never seen it. I mean, I've I've gotten the dual packs for everything on Switch so far. Uh, you know what's funny? I pre-ordered two copies of Arceus even though it's identical. Mm. But me, me and my girl just have to have one each. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm pretty sure there was a two pack. Maybe I'm mis- maybe I'm just thinking of Sword and Shield. Um, but either way, even for Sword and Shield, if that was potentially on the list, which it is, spoiler alert. Uh, I, I wonder if the two pack would count there. Um, yeah, I guess that would count as if they're combining them. That would count as two copies. Two units, right? So Yeah, but it, usually you don't see them combined like they are here. Uh, you you usually get separate figures on the entries. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd be interested to see how that worked uh, out. But either way, not surprising to see Let's Go on this list. Not at all. Uh, number seven, Super Mario Party. I think that this is, uh, and that's 16.48 million. Yeah. Might be accredited to the fact that this was one of the first Switch games, kind of, right? I buy that. 
it, I, I'm definitely surprised to see it on the list because I I own the game, but I've never heard anyone else really talk about the game that much. To be honest with you, I think it benefited. Of, it benefited from being an early, early title. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So yeah, pretty interesting to see it on the list. It's nice though. Certainly speaks to why they came out with uh, Mario Party Superstars and everything. Which, by the way, not to do, divert too much from this list, but I actually got got to play Superstars for the first time um, over the weekend and everything. And the game's really fun, man. It takes awesome. a lot of it takes a lot of what Super Mario Party had issues with in terms of mainly the games take quite a long time. Um, and it really sped things up a lot. And the mini games are quite good as well. So um, it kind of features mini games from like all Mario parties in the past, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, big, big fan of Mario Party Superstars. If you want a Mario Party game, I would probably recommend Superstars over Super Mario Party. Um, and don't get compu- confused by the very similar titles. <laughs> Good to hear, dude. Good to hear you're enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next, the rest of these are pretty much to be what expected expect. across yeah. the board. Uh, number six, Super Mario Odyssey, twenty one point ninety five million. Surprised to see it so low, honestly, but no Same. surprise to see it on the list. Definitely, uh, but this should, man. Uh, when you look at the competition, it's got, it makes sense. But at the same time, this is, you know, you would think this would be numero uno. Nope. Uh, Moving on though, number five, Pokemon Sword and Shield, 22.64 million. No surprise there. And I wouldn't be surprised if the fact that it was sold as a bundle of two quite a lot pumps this up a little bit, as we mentioned. Definitely. And, uh, I feel like controversy aside, everybody who was bitching about the game played it, owned it. Yeah, I mean, it's above Odyssey on the list, so yeah, that's I, all I you really think, need to yeah. say. Yeah, sales were not affected uh, by any controversy, clearly. Number four, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. honestly thought this was going to be higher. Yeah, but no surprise. Look, I mean, looking at the top four, you could tell me any order for these and I would 100% understand it. Definitely. Uh, number three, let's just get right into it. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, 25.71 million. And it's funny because... Yeah, I, I, that's about right. That's about right. I, I Even though I almost feel like at this point, Smash is kind of a niche audience. But this obviously proves that that's not the case. And there is quite a casual fan base for the game as well, which is good to see. Definitely, bro. I mean, uh, Smash is blown up in popularity, and I think uh, any any Smash entry that goes on a Nintendo console is going to be on this list at any given yeah, time. that's true. It, it's interesting how it's evolved. Uh, but then again, you know, that even Melee had the million copy seller, you know. It was one of those games on the GameCube. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, this is much more than million seller, though. I got to tell you that. Uh, number two, you'd almost expect to be number one at this point. That's Animal Crossing New Horizons. 34.85 yeah. million. That is almost a 10 million copy gap 
between number three and number two. And it's no surprise. Animal Crossing New Horizons sold 10 million more units than Smash Ultimate, man. That and really Breath says of the a wild. lot. And almost 15 million more than Odyssey. But, I mean, you know, this was a, this was a game that had a broader appeal than pretty much any other game on this list. So that makes sense. No question, man. Uh, number one, it's just to be expected. It's kind of unbeatable. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, 38.74 million. Yeah, and I think it goes without saying that part of the reason this is number one on the list is because it was sold in the Switch bundle for so long. That's the most important note to make. Yeah, this, and so, I mean, the Switch bundles had this in perpetuity, it felt like, like for basically the first, like, year or two of the switch's life cycle so the fact that this is the top of the list is no surprise at all not at all and even if it was bundled or i'm or sorry wasn't bundled with the system at any point you could still expect mario kart to perform 100 percent, yeah it's just such an accessible game that people i can't tell you how many times i heard oh i picked up a switch for so-and-so significant other or I personally picked up a switch to play Mario Kart. Yeah. Interesting that, that, note about this list. From what I can tell, one port, one remake, eight original games. Interesting. Definitely. Very interesting. Because a, a lot of people number say one. number one is the port and let's yep. go would be the remake, obviously. Yep. Um, and that's, I feel like that's, kind of almost loose to call that a remake because yes, it is a, it is a remake, but it's a completely different game mechanically. Um, but yeah, kind of interesting. A lot of people would criticize the switch and say some of the best games on it are like, you know, ports and remakes, but this is obviously proving that that's not the case. Yeah. I did find it funny when you brought it up though, that number one is a port, but <laughs> it's just, it was naturally, yeah, definitely. Uh, because when you bundle this game in especially uh, and the price tag on the Switch doesn't change, that's really attractive, man. Yeah, definitely. If I'm, you pretty sure that the, one, I'm pretty sure the Switch that I bought um, was from this bundle because I got the physical copy of 8 Deluxe alongside it from the, the gentleman that I purchased it from. Yeah, more than likely. But interesting list... Uh, uh, I'll be interested to see the one updated with Q4 in mind. Like I said, I don't expect anything to be switched around here. The gaps are pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, I can't see any surge that would uh, do anything nah. visible to this list outside of maybe something being on the heels of Ring Fit Adventure. You know. And I don't think uh, any would, anything would have passed it by now. I think you nah. will see stuff like Mario Golf eventually pass it and get on this list maybe but i don't know just the amount of time i feel like it will take quite a long time for that to happen because that game yep. came out this year and you know ring fit's been out for quite a long time yeah uh, most of these games have longevity as far as how long they've been mm -hmm. out so makes perfect reading sense, this bro. nintendo life article it, it looks like ring fit adventure knocked new super mario bros u deluxe out of the top 10 which is pretty interesting Oh man, that's such a deserving one to be on there, though. I mean, that, at, if I'm not mistaken, that came out before Super Mario Maker 2. And 
without Mario Maker 2 being out, you needed a 2D Mario experience that was like current for the Switch. Correct. And we so need that, a new one, Nintendo. We do. We do. <laughs> oh, you know, I wanted to get on Super Mario Maker 2 the other day so bad. It almost did. I really miss when that game was just the the talk of the town, bro. That was really yeah, good times. It's still good, though. It's still good to fire up every once in a while. Definitely. Uh, but today we wanted to do something a little special uh, and do a little spotlight on uh, a very special company that just so happens to have special in the title. And that's Special Reserve Games. Yeah. Uh, you put me onto these guys recently um, as you became aware of them and pretty interesting to see what they're doing. No question, man. I, I brought up Limited Run before. And I bring them up because uh, maybe it's a good time to mention. They, they also have a podcast called Games You Deserve uh, that I've, I've listened to a little bit. It seems like they didn't post anything after December of 2020 or so. Uh, funny, like maybe a month and a half after we started doing this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I listened back to some stuff because I saw they actually had a, the guys from Limited Run on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was interesting to hear both of them in the same industry talk about, uh, you know, the art of bringing digital games to physical form, uh, which is something I feel strongly about, you know. So I thought we'd do a little showcase today and just kind of, you know, these guys seem to be a little lesser known than Limited Run. Limited Run's very established. Uh, you know, even I'm walking around with one of their hoodies on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just wanted to throw these guys some love. Uh, because I, I fell in love with a game recently, Tyler, called Loop Hero. Mm-hmm. I was completely unaware of this game's existence until recently when it was announced that the Switch port was out. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it came out on the PC earlier in the year. Uh, so, you know, I saw it on a really good sale on PC. I picked it up and I kind of haven't played anything since maybe two days before Christmas, man, except Loop Hero. <laughs> Uh, I told you all earlier, other games have fallen by the wayside. Oh man, I told you earlier. If we if we just did the the game awards, uh, if I would have found this game a few days earlier, it would have been indie of the year. No question. That's awesome. Point being, I was just looking around uh, after I played it some and really got into it. Uh, I fell in love with it. I started looking around YouTube, you know, at, at some content around it, and. uh in the comments, I saw somebody be like, man, I, uh, I really would like to purchase this physically. Mm-hmm. And somebody just commented beneath that and said, special reserve games. So I looked the company up. Uh, and sure enough, man, they actually, one of their more recent releases was Loop Hero. They, they do a lot of work with Devolver Digital, who mm-hmm. we've brought up before many times, mm-hmm. even without mentioning by name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they did The Messenger. We just talked about The Messenger on the last episode, I believe. Yeah. Uh, these guys actually did a physical copy of the messenger, which was beautifully done. Uh, so really cool to see loop here on there. So I actually pulled the trigger and for 44 99. I got a reserve copy of it. I, I kind of want to see, I showed you earlier, we, we watched the carry on unboxing, mm-hmm. uh, really, really good showcase of the quality that's put into you know, the production of this, the, the care. I mean, uh, we see things like, you know, raised and embossed actual sleeve 
artwork, what goes into the Switch case. That's not something we've seen before. No, not at all. And that was not something really that we, we kind of well. highlighted. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's just flat printed, you know, nothing too special about it. But these guys seem to, uh, they take care in this, you know. And the quality looks, it looks very high. So I got the Switch reserved for Loop Hero and also uh, one of their art prints. I kind of wanted to see, uh, you know, how these look. They seem to be pretty well crafted, man. $25. I mean, that's not too hard of a buy. So when these things come in, I'll definitely be talking about them. Uh, but for now, yeah, we're talking yeah. we're, we're talking about the company itself. Uh, and uh, you you mentioned that you saw some games on here that you had some interest in that they've done. A lot of it's Devolver. Yeah, all the stuff that is sold out, uh, unfortunately. But I've heard there's a few games that I haven't played, but I've heard positive things about like Enter the Gungeon, definitely. Gris, um, couple other ones just thumbing through the list here obviously we talked about the messenger um but yeah man hotline miami obviously that's a that's a well-known franchise mm -hmm. um but yeah man really nice to see people kind of supporting indie developers with the physical side like obviously it's one thing to develop your own game release it getting it you know i feel like most indie games are developed for the PC. So for an indie developer, just getting it over to the Switch is already going to be a hurdle. And then getting, you know, physical releases on Switch, PS4, and Xbox, etc. Like, that's even more of a hurdle for some indies. So to see a company solely dedicated to making these physicals happen and, and knowing that there's multiple companies in this space doing it, it just, it just warms our indie-loving hearts. Definitely, man. I couldn't agree more. And uh, it's nice to see their their little flair on it, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, they seem to do things a certain way. And uh, I kind of wanted to read their mission statement here, you know, not too long. But, uh, it, you know, it speaks to what they do kind of better than we can explain it. Just talking about looking at a box, you know. Uh, but it says, it's special reserve games. We create amazing physical packages to honor the games you love. We scoff at the minimum standards and seek out the maximum standards. Our game jacket covers are printed on the thickest allowed paper per console standards. Reserve boxes are constructed from a custom-made material. We couldn't find paper we liked enough for our instruction, bleh, <laughs> instruction booklet covers, so we made our own paper. We use complex printing processes to combine embossing, debossing, raised UV, spot UV, grit texture, multiple layers of protective laminate, and more. A 200-pound person can stand on a shipping box and it wouldn't crumple. That's a big thing we talked about, Tyler. <laughs> we put quality above everything because we know you love these games and we want holding them in your hands for the first time to be a remarkable tactile experience. That's that, I don't really have anything else to say. I mean, that really sums it up perfectly. It's funny that you mentioned that because we got so bummed out when both of our Banana Mania, like, you know, launch edition packages came and the the outer box was just damaged you know absolutely brutalized in the shipping process so really love to hear that these guys are paying this much attention to every aspect start to finish not just any one thing but even you know going as far as to protect the shipping from these horrible horrible handlers absolutely i, I think that's amazing Yep. They they don't even want you receiving it 
in its pristine form to be compromised. Correct. And I think and that's awesome. Definitely, man. Uh, but, you know, lo- looking at looking at the presentation of these, I, I love the, I can't wait to get Lou Piro and see, you know, exactly what we're working with. But I love that rubber looking coating. Mm-hmm. It's just got an it's got an NES vibe and it's got this r- rubber coating and it just seems like such a nice format for like a boxed game as opposed to like maybe your typical cardboard, you know. Uh, there's nothing wrong with doing like an NES box with the the cardboard that they used, you know. But I mean, let's be honest, Sterling. Most of the games that we buy don't even have boxes at all. Like they don't come with any cardboard element, manual, anything. It's a plastic case, like wrapped and a game cartridge and that's it. Yep. We just talked about that when we watched the carry on unboxing that, uh, just it feels good to see that empty slot that's mm-hmm. in every switch game actually have a manual in it of uh you know uh, we'll get into the collecting talk soon enough but uh, of the 30 or so switch games i have one of them has a manual and that's moonlighter and that was an indie yep everything else no manual empty slot but you put the slot in the case that's what i find interesting yeah, really, really sad, man. Uh, game manuals are one of the coolest things that I, I remember just from owning games as a kid. I would uh, The first thing I would do when I bought a game before I ever played the game was just go through the entire manual. Same. I've heard that from so many people, man. It's so funny you say that because that used to be the joy of it. it like, you kind of read that as the you intro, know, the tutorial. Yeah, 100%. And then the game throws you straight in most of the time with none of yeah. the tutorial. Like, the, you know, I mean, uh, nowadays that's changed with modern games. But this used to be our tutorial was manual. So it's nice to see that they're never going to neglect a manual being involved. Yeah, which is much appreciated. Much appreciated indeed, my brother. But uh, shout out to Four Quarters for making Loop Hero. Shout out to Devolver for publishing it and so many great games. And shout out to Special Reserve for working so closely with Devolver and getting these games in physical format, man. Definitely. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to my Quake Switch Deluxe from Limited Run and now my Loop Hero Reserve from Special Reserve. It'll be cool to, you know, kind of not critically, of course, because I love both companies. Uh, but it'll be cool to get these releases around the same time and kind of get a, you know, a comparison view without intending to per se. Imagine getting them on the same day. That would be like the biggest, like the biggest rush ever. Yeah, that'd be pretty gnarly, man. Uh, but we'll be talking more about Special Reserve for sure whenever the Loop Hero Reserve comes in and, uh, you know, we get a look at this thing. I'll get on webcam with you and maybe open it. And, oh, uh, yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, man. Uh, but we got quite the discussion today, my friend. Kind we of an all, all-encompassing discussion. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It kind of, it kind of like, it's the. I feel like it's the baseline of our podcast almost, or it has turned into such. Definitely, and that's the topic of game collecting. Uh, now, there's an easy start for me. Uh, I don't know if your your mind goes to any particular zone. Not at all. Think I, about it, collecting. Because we're going to talk about past and present with this. Like, no question. 
this isn't just going to be kind of us talking about our collections and like, you know, here's what I have end of end of topic. Like, I think it's interesting to talk about the state of game collecting as a whole, you know, with the context of our experience as well, of course, but just more on the broad scale. Definitely. And of course, you know, from time to time, we're going to talk about games we have or amounts of, you know, amount is a big thing. Uh, But it's kind of like not just about accumulating games or anything like that specifically. Uh, But, you know, the something I think about is the exchange, for example. Uh, You talk about collecting as an adult, but when we were younger, man, we used to do a lot of exchanging. Definitely. I mean, some of our best stories and memories come from trades that we executed of of individual games. Yep. Or failed to execute, as the case may be. And in some cases executed two decades later. Yep. Perhaps in the uh, the current recording of the podcast or in the duration of this podcast. Hmm. You know, I got, we had the Yoshi story thing. I mean, that was pretty, you got to admit, that, yeah. was move, that was pretty moving. It was, it was. And yeah, just like, it's something that that is impossible with digital games. Not to make this a digital versus physical comparison. That's not really what this is about. But it, it's, it can't be understated. Like collections, a digital collection just means something different. Right. It's impossible to trade a digital game in most cases. I mean, you know, in every case on the switch, in most cases elsewhere. Um, And I think that, you know, there's something to that. There's something to the ability to trade anything with a friend or give your friend a gift, receive a gift from them of a physical object. And the borrowing, uh, you know, the, the, the temporary trading, no the, exp- the exposure to games that we, uh, that we wouldn't have had, you know, any exposure to otherwise. And, and it's funny cause we talk about, uh, collecting most of the time we're going to talk about it being a permanent thing, but I guess you could call this temporary collecting, mm-hmm. you know, Definitely. just, just the, the intertwining market of you and your friends, you know? Because, you know, like we talked about, you could you could friend share on Steam and shit like that. But uh, physically swapping cartridges and discs is where we come from. Definitely. Uh, but it seems like it's gone the wayside, though, man. You know, we're in a world full of digital. Uh, you know, I'm always going to champion physical. Definitely. I, I think I might even be more on that that spectrum than you you know when it whenever we get on the topic well Uh, yes i would say definitely but it's funny because you have in the lifespan of this podcast and just of our recent friendship you have brought me more into that mindset than i was at one point to the point where i was just as happy if not happier to own a game digitally um as i was physically but As time goes on, I've kind of come back around to seeing what the benefit of physical games versus digital can be. I'm glad to hear you say that, but I don't want to hurt the checkbook. 
You know? No, I, I really, you know, there's the digital games have a time and a place and there's a lot of things that I prefer digital, right? For what I was, I was actually going to mention Mario Maker 2, even though that's a, that's a hard hitter, you know, first party Nintendo release. It's a game that I'm happy to own digitally, um, as well as Animal Crossing New Horizons, because it's such a switch to it for a little bit and get some get some mileage out of it and then you're done. And just the ability to do so with the game digitally without having to change a cartridge is nice, you know, definitely. Can't argue with that. I definitely cannot argue with that. <laughs> I've but, done quite a bit of cartridge swapping. It's not, it's not ideal, <clears throat> but uh, you know, I, I think it's worth the hassle for certain things to own the physical. I certain, agree. You know, certain things I feel better about not having a physical for, but then, eh, you know, some things kind of uh, require it. But maybe uh, it makes me think of the GTA collection because I feel like the want for a physical for that kind of waned down when we saw the quality of the game. Quickly, yeah. To where it's not, you know, it <clears throat> it's not as monumental or like just have something, to have it. something to marvel at. Yeah, like the copy of it. it, it they tainted it, so. A little bit. It's still something that I will probably get eventually, but that oh, was I'm a game gonna that get I, it, yeah. That was a game that I never had any qualms with getting digitally either. Um, I think that that's a, a perfect type of game to have digital. I just feel like they made me more open to getting it digitally after all of this, you know? Yeah. Um, but I have a question for you, Sterling. I have a few for you as well, but I'll definitely answer any question you've got for me. I want to know what, what do you define as collection? Do you, do you feel like, is it, I guess, how specific is your definition? Where are you talking about any game that you own is a part of your collection? Or when you say collection, are you thinking more, I have a collection that has this in common with each other. Like I'm collecting this. Like people collect collect stamps they collect baseball cards i collect pokemon games you collect nes games like where where does that fall for you well for me a collection can be three games you own for game boy color whether it's three or 300 that's your game boy color collection mm -hmm. now you know you could speak of your collection as a whole I could talk about my shelf and excess boxes and call that my collection. Mm -hmm. But I usually, in my mind, I categorize my collections by system. And, you know, even though I do this, it's not to say I have unbelievably large catalogs for a wide variety of systems. You know, I've got 100 or so on the NES, and then I found 30 is like the magic number for so many systems. I have original Game Boy roughly 30 games mm -hmm. uh, same goes for switch same goes for n64 and super nintendo's about 20 uh but i i like to think of them separately but the number really doesn't have a bearing yeah. in my opinion even if you owned six 
Switch games. That's your Switch physical collection, you know. Makes sense. Uh, so I feel like I have a pretty broad view on what a collection is. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it, it could be a subset. Now, there's subsets of things. You know, I was going for like the black box set on NES for a while. Mm -hmm. And I got down to the ridiculous two or three. Uh, Donkey Kong Jr. Math, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, things that I'm just not going to spend that type of money on and I'm not going to find in a dumpster. Realistically. Right. So, you know, I got two or three games away from very affordably getting the, the black box set. And then I kind of lost interest in finishing or having a black box set. So, you know, yeah. some, some of the games got included in, uh, you know, lots and whatnot. Now a lot were duplicates. I have most of that black box set still intact, mm -hmm. but there were some that had, you know, a nice price tag on it that I just didn't see myself playing because that's the big thing, Tyler. Like, it's funny how I contradict myself. I get things like, see, these days, I, I was telling you earlier, I don't really pick up games often that aren't like new Switch releases or things like that. Like, I got Journey to Silius at that shop in like Kirby's Pinball Land. Yeah, you're not picking up retro very often. Yeah, and we had the N64 days not too long ago where we both were kind of grabbing some games, you know? Mm -hmm. And I started picking up a lot of rare games I didn't know at the time, you know? And, uh, but other than that, man, it seems like, you know, the recent purchases I've made kind of like the quake thing and the loop hero thing. I already have these games, both playable mm -hmm. on switch and PC. Cause I picked loop hero up on switch as well. Uh, and by the way, it, it's funny. We talk about slay the spire just to veer off for a second. I, I have a stylus, like a, one of those digi root styluses feels so good to play Loop Hero, like sliding the cards around and just touch screen like that. Yeah. Gotta love the Switch, dude. Which Definitely. Like that and Slay the Spire. Yeah, 100%. Um, but I veered off from my point completely. Uh, but <laughs> the I think what I was talking about was, it's funny how I, I would get these deluxe editions like Quake, stuff I have playable on multiple platforms. But then I've pared down systems because I was like, I'm not going to play these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a bit contradictory. And I'll, I'll admit bit. that, you know. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if a game means something to you and you want to you want to own it just for the sake of owning it on multiple platforms, I don't I don't see an issue with that at all. And there's yeah. games that there's games that I play on multiple platforms like Slay the Spire um, that's probably the biggest one. Don't starve comes to mind. I have that on, on multiple platforms. So, you know, I, I don't think it's that far fetched. I know you actually play quake on multiple platforms as well. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm being critical of myself more on the topic of purchasing like a deluxe or reserve edition that I already have playable on multiple platforms. I think it's a gauge of enthusiasm. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't do this for games, but I did it for Quake and I did it for Loop Hero because they hit me hard mm -hmm. enough to want physical media that's, you know, the game officially. Makes sense to me. But at the same time, the contradictory side is me. Uh, at one point, I had maybe 225 NES games and I pared down to like 101. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at right now. Because one day I suddenly was like, you know, I have no... 
attachment to having so many games on one platform. It just was a, a bountiful era of picking up a lot of games at pawn shops and just mm-hmm. like I came across estate sales and things like that, you know? Uh, and it just, it just kind of swelled up. And one day I said, you know what? I'm going to start paring down and any game that I wouldn't on any given day, if I was like, I'm going to play some NES, if I wouldn't even consider popping this game in, it's got to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I got down to where I'm at now, but it, it, it makes me feel good to know that, I don't have this hollow library sitting on my shelf. I yeah, have that's fair. Ro- like rows of games that are all worth playing. Yeah, and that's where you want to be. And I think that's that's what sort of differentiates types of collectors, right? A lot of people will collect things that they never have any intention of using or can't use. Um my biggest game collection I hinted at earlier and I've talked about it on other episodes is just physical Pokemon cartridges. Like I own almost every iteration of a Pokemon game except for platinum at this point. Um, And I don't own sword uh, or shield digitally, but the, the entire motivation behind that was just having the maximum functionality available to me where, and I never used this, but I could potentially, you know, bring Pokemon from Gen 3 all the way forward into Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl once it gets home access, like, or Sword and Shield, for, for instance. Yeah. And that, it would take several hours if not days for me to get to the point to do this but um i think that that's cool and that was sort of like this collection that i have was sort of unintentionally built around that just the functionality aspect and i think that that for me is where collecting lives like every n64 game that i've purchased in the last year is with the intent of playing it. Um, <clears throat> and every every retro purchase that I make is 100% with the intention of having access to the game to play. And I think that, that is, that's where collecting hits the hardest for me is just access, right? That That is, that is kind of... Definitely. That's where my mindset is. And that, that's a mature mindset. That That's the mindset that I matured into. Yeah. As far as not going out of my way to accumulate anything that I wouldn't play. Uh, that I don't have some type of attachment to, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting, though, that you bring up like a cross-platform collection. Because I've never viewed something like that. I feel like it, even just having all of this certain type of game on this console mm-hmm. is is like enough for me if i'm enthusiastic about the console yeah like i felt about uh you know like the pokemon dmg games mm-hmm. uh everything up to crystal which you know I, I sent you gold and i actually that, that that shows how i've matured as a collector i don't feel anything about not owning gold yeah uh i feel pretty happy about having the remainder of the dmg titles mm-hmm and that's one of those little subsets, you know, that I'm happy about, you know, it's the DMG Definitely. Pokemon games. 
along with TCG. You got to love it. Absolutely. Uh, but that's actually what got me started on collecting, uh, oddly enough, as far as being an adult or in this case, being 18 years old, having a job, having a little bit of money, you know, uh, I found myself picking up original Game Boy games. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing I was really into. And I think that kind of segued me into an interest in the NES, even though as a child, you know, we didn't have an NES. We, me and you are a bit younger than the NES days, you know. Definitely, yeah. Early 90s, not so much mid 80s or, you know. Right. Uh, in most cases, people born in the early 80s, late 70s really were kids when the NES came out, you know. Mm-hmm. But I kind of went back and had this, you know, this love that I found for NES that was kind of through Game Boy. Uh, you know, I've always loved just the aesthetic of all of it. Uh, but, but it's the, just the idea of the home souped up Game Boy. That's kind of what it was to me early on. Mm-hmm. And, and I really found, you know, a, a love for the console. I, you know, the, it's the only one that I have maybe five of the actual consoles for, you know, and, and so many peripherals and things. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the collecting also, Tyler, goes into systems, not just games. So even though it's not a collection, something you own, your GameCube, your CRT, that's for like a specific reason, man. And that's the original hardware, original experience. I think that's where a lot of collectors' minds are. Absolutely, yeah. People become collectors from one day saying, you know what, man, I really would like to pick up, you know, a PS2 and get this handful of PS2 games uh, yep. that I played when I was younger. And then, they, and then they start wanting more and more games because suddenly that's so much more accessible, like we said before, than when we were kids. We didn't have so much control. So whatever we got, you know, <clears throat> we barter and rent and things like that. Definitely. The temporary collecting, like we called it earlier, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting point, man. I, uh, I, I, I have a lot of systems, um, just looking around me right now. And it's pretty interesting to kind of reconcile that because it's impossible to play seven game consoles at once, right? Like that's just never going to happen. So it, it all comes down to, like I said, and like we were just talking about access, like I have the CRT over here that has the GameCube and the N64 hooked up. That's all I really cared to get this CRT to do originally was just to hook my GameCube up and play Melee with no like no lag. So, you know, it's funny how it kind of evolves over time, like you said. Yeah, (laughs) it just... uh... I think you said it earlier a couple of times, man, accessibility. I think that's mm-hmm. the big thing. It's just so nice to, uh, you could say it's nice to pick from a menu screen and load up a downloaded game. But then something about popping a cartridge or a disc in and yeah. hitting power. But it's getting harder and harder, man. The price of collectibles, retro games, and any collectible is just, in the past two years, has absolutely skyrocketed. 
Definitely, man. I mean, I remember looking at Paper Mario. That's just an example I use, you know, for 64. Uh, I remember it being 70, 80 when I was looking mm-hmm. at it. And I was like, oh, no way, man. But I sure would love to own this. Like, that's probably my most coveted N64 game at the moment. Uh, but then I go back a week or two ago, man, and that thing is going for 100, man. That's crazy, man. I'm, ta- and I'm not talking about one solitary listing. I'm talking about a few. That's the going rate. <laughs> that seems to be the going rate. Like 90 being bottom end as far as the listings I saw. Yeah. One other aspect that I, I don't really talk about too much on this podcast, but uh, but I play Magic the Gathering and I have have or had, I guess, accumulated quite a large volume of cards um, with a lot of it being bulk of just stuff that I never got rid of. But over the years playing multiple formats and everything, I accumulated quite a quite a few cards that were worth more than when I purchased them. We'll say so. I actually recently did a big offload of a lot of my collection. I sold dozens, dozens of cards that were minimum, we'll say 20, 30 bucks. Um, and that was really satisfying, as well as getting rid of all the bulk that I had. So I think part of the joy of collecting can be honing in or optimizing a collection like you were saying with your NES where you have you start collecting you accumulate too much of something and then it it feels good to actually pare down your collection into what brings you the most joy and I think that you know that's the entire other side of acquiring is you know getting rid of stuff I couldn't agree more I'm so glad that you went here because I, it's funny how I almost felt like I got addicted to paring down. Mm-hmm. You just you get know, in these purge mindsets. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be in this mindset soon because we're moving soon, um, and I'm going to need to condense a lot of stuff, or I'm going to want to condense a lot of stuff to make moving easier and everything. You know, been living in the same house for like four years now, so I think it's just kind of like you know, accumulate over time and stuff like that. But I'm really looking forward to getting into my closet over here and purging a lot of things that I don't need. Not much of it is going to be games, but like just old cables and hookups, like ethernet cables, random power cables to things I don't own, like um, just all kind of stuff. Just getting rid of things I think can be satisfying. First thing going up on eBay, custom robo. Everything must go. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I'm not really going to be getting any getting rid of much to any games in this process. I um, figured you wouldn't, and that's nah. kind of what I that's kind of what I thought earlier when you were talking about how you have so many consoles. Regardless of whether or not you're playing them every day, do you really have any desire to offload them? Like I don't don't think so. Only if there was a reason. I've I've talked about to a friend of mine like selling my PS4 to him because he would actually get a lot of use out of it, and I don't. Stuff like that I think is is valid as far as getting rid of it in any other way, selling it on. Uh, on the internet of in any way or anything like that, not really interested. Um, 
not really interested. Certainly wouldn't toss any toss or donate any of the consoles that I have um, by any means. If if I decided to sell something to a friend, that's about about the extent of what I would actually get rid of something. Yeah, I've I've gotten to a point where between, you know, selling lots and eBay selling, I've gotten to a point where I don't feel that I want to offload anything else. I feel comfortable with where I'm at. And that anything I accumulate from here forward is going to be something I don't double back on. I just feel like I've matured enough to where I know when I purchase something that I want it and that I'm not going to be like, oh, man, what have I done? I have to recoup the cost of this. You know, definitely. And that's that's I think that's a big aspect of collecting is knowing what to collect and when to not purchase something. Yeah, because, you know, we're not rich here, but uh, the pawn shop days I always talk about. That was how I got the collection I have mm-hmm. is the, the getting and flipping. I mean, like, like I said, something that even. Even something you'd keep, like I got a Mario Party two one time from the pawn shop, five dollars, went for sixty to seventy. Yep, uh, it was kind of hard when when I'm on the hunt to like you know to collect and to flip and you know, uh, kind of hard not to flip that because it's a find. It's you know it it's it's contributing to the point of what I'm doing is to get games to flip them to get other games. Definitely. You know, so in a situation like that, of course, you're going to flip Mario Party 2 because uh, at a time where, you know, I'm focusing on a different console, shit, that's $55 profit to go towards a game for that system. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, then, and you're not coming out of pocket. You came out of pocket $5. You know, it's almost like winning at the roulette table, <laughs> but it's a bit more of a sure thing, you know? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I feel like this is just part one really, of the game collecting talk. Uh, and yeah, you get there's it, so you, much to you, go through. Yeah, you get it from time to time with us. I mean, when we were picking up N64 games, we were talking about them as we got them. Definitely. Uh, and that's collector talk, you know. So from time to time, we'll touch back on it. Maybe, uh, you know, one day in the future, we'll have a part two to this. And, you know, we'll talk about the things we didn't talk about. Definitely. Uh, focus yeah, on other good. aspects of it, you know. Uh, but I think it's time to talk about some accomplishments we've made as really gamers. Really excited for Tyler. this. Yep, and, and the beautiful thing about it is that we have an honorable mention that's a collaborative. This is the last list I would have ever imagined having this scenario on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but that is the absolute, utter, one hundred percent completion. Of Resident Evil 4 on GameCube. Including max score or the highest tier score on Mercenaries on each level with each character, which is by far the most time consuming aspect to completing that game. And difficult. If, uh, yeah, time consuming and difficult, no question. Yeah, Mercenaries is at the forefront of this selection there's no there's no question about that yeah i have i basically i remember i spent pretty much an entire summer working on mercenaries one year um where i had you know played as much of the story as i could possibly ever want at that time not ever um 
and I was, and I knew, you know, the hand cannon, you get it. I can't remember what the exact unlock condition for just the basic hand cannon is, but you don't unlock the infinite hand cannon on, on GameCube until you, I'm pretty sure you have to get 60,000 points with every character on every mercenary stage, if I'm not mistaken, which is incredibly difficult to do. Oh man. Um, but I, I spent an entire summer on this one time and it was so satisfying to finally do it. Like this was probably the first thing like this where I was like, I'm going to sit down and grind this out and, and then it's going to be done. Do you remember all the thousand point away attempts that crushed your soul? Absolutely. And oh, there's some man. characters on some levels that are just borderline impossible. But man, we were online, or at least I was reading, reading the strats, like trying to get people's, you know, opinions on game FAQs about like what the best like, what was the meta to keep your combo chains alive and everything? I'm sure you fed a lot of that to me. It's possible, yeah. Through word of mouth. We I talked about the, the game I, a lot. <laughs> the the Krauser arm is OP. Yep. Uh, and Hunk is OP with his neck break. That's basically all I can say. And Ada's is like the hardest for most maps. <laughs> yeah, Ada and Leon are both pretty hard in, in some cases. Yep. But that is definitely an accomplishment worth mentioning. Uh, like we said, uh, with my list, and I'm sure yours, and, you know, not all of it's groundbreaking, but for us, it's personal. Yeah. But this I'm going to jump in with my number five here, Sterling. Go for it, bro. I changed this at the last second on my list, and I'm so glad that it came to me because this was some, this this was something that meant a lot to me, but it was... Fully completing all secret exits and main exits on Super Mario World as a kid with no guide. Like, I didn't really realize how crazy this was until, you know, becoming an adult. And I say crazy, relatively speaking, to my abilities as a kid, right? But the amount of time that that had to have taken to really find a few of those secret exits... It, it like I can't fathom it now, but I just remember when you finally get the Koopa shell like Mario and Luigi or whatever, like the 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 different anim the different sprites for some of the characters for fully completing all secret exits and regular exits. Like it's just the most satisfying thing in the world. So that's my number five. It's a beautiful thing, dude. It, it's one of the single player accomplishments that I, I speak about is just that right there. Yep. Uh, for my number five, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, it's so hard to do an order for these, but I think the first one Absolutely. that I want to I come out the gate with uh, is going to be unlocking all the characters in Melee. That's an interesting of, one. A lot of people have done it. It's nothing groundbreaking. I've done it probably half a dozen times <laughs> in various in various ways. Yeah, but I feel that this is something special because suddenly uh, when you unlock all of the characters, you have a complete 
copy. Yeah. When your friends come over, you're not missing anyone. It's it's just all there and it's all ready, dude. And something that gives a different end result to completing something in a game than we're used to. Absolutely. And I, I feel like this is this is true for any Smash game, not just Melee. Like one of my immediate goals upon getting Ultimate when it came out was unlocking every character as pretty much as quickly as possible. Definitely. And, and uh, I mean, dude, do you remember that feeling with Ultimate? Yeah. Like just getting it release day having to I remember you and my boy Brock uh, just all just racing to get all the characters first things first yep it was hard yeah and some of them were very difficult that's what was so funny about it every now and then you came across being an absolute beast I think I remember that too I think Mewtwo might be the last character I unlocked, which is hilarious because he's my most played character at this point. Definitely. Uh, But that had to be an opener for the list, man. One of those personal, personal things uh, that I think the reason it made the list is because of the payout. I mean, the, the whole world's opened up for Melee once you have everybody accessible. Absolutely. Uh, number four on my list is achieving 101% completion on Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, the original copy, uh, for the PS2 with all the glitches and bugs in it. It was able to get, it was, uh, it was possible to get 101% completion and I did it. And I am glad that I did because that's not something you could do even in the first re-release of the game. So um, that's a game that meant a lot to me. And I'm, I'm glad that I thought about this for this list because I, I think that it, it, it fits perfectly. I think it does. Uh, the, it's funny how we gravitate to the 100% completions, but there's just something about knowing you touched upon everything. Yep. You didn't miss anything. And you uh, even got completion percentage for things that weren't supposed to be in the game. Yep. In the case of this game. You went above and beyond. Yep. Like you can with DK64. Yep. Same deal. Yeah. But that's a great entry, bro. Uh, the next one is going to be my last uh, or my only and final 100%. And that is Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Mm, mm-hmm. That's a difficult one. Uh, now, th- it's a very complex game, and I'll admit to you, I have no shame in it. I, I had a strategy guide. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, this was done with the assistance of a strategy guide. The Brady Games era. <laughs> the Brady Prima era, yep. Yeah. Uh, but it was, a, it was a feat, even with the strategy guide. No question. Uh, you know, so, someone might say, oh, it, it's so restrictive with the time. The world and the events that occur in it are far from restrictive. Mm-hmm. We've said it before. You can restart the day cycle and go and do so many different things. It's just kind of uncanny. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of the beautiful things about the game. Yeah. Uh, but just 100%ing it, all heart pieces, fierce deity mask, the whole, just that was such a, an accomplishment for me, man. That's a nice one for the list. 
It's one that I spent some time on too, so I think uh, it, it deserved to be mentioned. Um, my number three is I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before, but on the 3DS Virtual Console Pokemon Crystal, I did a hardcore Nuzlocke um, with mm-hmm. no speed up or anything and made it all the way to the, to red. Um, haven't actually fought that battle yet. So a little bit of an asterisk on this one, but just making it through the entire rest of the game up until red with hardcore Nuzlocke rules, which is basically if you're Pokemon faints, it's dead. If your team whites out, you lose the run. Um, and then the hardcore aspect is no items in battle, no leveling your Pokemon higher than the next gym leader's highest Pokemon. So that is tough, but I really felt motivated to do it in my favorite Pokemon game ever, which is Crystal. So I did it. Um, I'm, I, my save file is still in a place of just grinding to be red. Um, so that will happen someday, hopefully, or it won't. But just the fact that I did it, you know, up until that point, pretty happy with that. I'm happy with it too, bro. I'm happy to hear it on this list. <laughs> Uh, my number three is going to be, and now look, uh, nothing, nothing earth shattering, personal goals broken, uh, and a lot of happiness surrounding it. But just sometimes I got on 007 Goldeneye mm. on the N64, you know, for a little while, uh, I had gotten into, you know, trying to get times on really just damn and streets. Uh, they seem to be, you know, the most doable and just two that I gravitated to. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't get the world record. I didn't tie it or anything like that. But, you know, I got within s- certain seconds of it. You know, I think I got 118 on streets and the record at the time was like 112. Uh, you know, like, I guess like 58, 59 on damn and the world record was like 52 or 53. Things like mm-hmm. that, you know. Uh, now, yeah. six seconds, six seconds is a lifetime when it comes to speed running. But I mean, uh, this, even with these times I had kind of shattered what I thought I would do. Definitely. And I was pretty happy about it, man. You know, absolutely. Uh, it's nice to do something like this. And, and the rest of my list really is like speed run mm-hmm. content. But at the same time, it's the very few instances where I had interest in speed running something. Yeah, definitely. You know? Uh, but definitely deserving of the list, man. Just thought it had to be mentioned. Awesome. Golden. I gotta love it. My number two slot is an amalgamation of things. I grouped it as competitive TCG accomplishments, um, which sounds really like bougie when I say it like that, but um, just breezing through it quickly. There's nothing insane here. But just playing competitively, reaching Mythic rank on Magic the Gathering Arena is pretty tough. I've done that in two or three different seasons. Um, I, I, I played in one Yu-Gi-Oh! tournament at age 13. And oh, man. Was fortunate enough to win that tournament, like, first oh. place, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, and then for, ma- for Paper Magic... Um, I've played in quite a few PTQs and IQs, which is like 
regional qualifiers and not won them, but placed in them, um, which is still pretty nice to, to place in an event that's like 100, 200 people at times. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. So, yeah, I would say just my the entirety of my like TCG sphere would be kind of this spot on the list. That's really awesome, dude. Just to hear about the the real life, like in person paper magic domination. Yeah, there was quite there was probably I would say two years that I was really on the local circuit pretty hard. I I never played pro tours or anything like that, but um, I was I was in the in the realm, you know, locally and stuff. So I, I think that's pretty awesome. I'm proud of you, bro. Thanks, man. I, I I haven't played Paper Magic since the start of the pandemic, besides, you know, Commander with my friends. So uh, I'm far, far disconnected from that world, unfortunately. Well, hopefully it all gets back to a norm and gets back to the glory, man. You got to hope for the best. Maybe. I sold a lot of my staples for other formats um, in this recent sell-off, so... We'll see what happens. We're I'm not feeling. Into... Say what? I was just saying we're going into 2022 with a positive mindset, man. You got to keep oh, it. definitely. Keep it rolling. I don't feel like I have to play Paper Magic, though, at the moment competitively. Um, that sort of mindset is not here for me right now. Just in lieu of the pandemic, a lot of a lot of places locally have tons of precautions in place and stuff like that. But for me... Just not worth it. I would rather just play with my friends, you know, in, in a more casual format and then, you know, play online some some competitively, but not really. Uh, yeah, totally, man. So the mindset has just kind of evolved over time. Uh, my number two, uh, this is a game I have to recommend for anybody with a 3DS. I know it came out on Wii U as well, uh, but Ultimate NES Remix. Uh, they just so happen to have leaderboards for every single miniature stage. Every little mission in the game has got leaderboards for times. That's cool. And also have the video of everybody obtaining that time. So when I got this game, I kind of, uh, I kind of like that functionality and it's it a pretty me- neat feature. It really is. It's something you don't see too often, and it kind of blew me away. So it, it made me actually want to go for these times. Mm-hmm. So at first, I'd start getting, you know, third place and second place, and be like, oh, man, this is awesome. But then the hunger sets in, and I want to be number one on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was, a, there was a lot that I was tied with, you know, three or four other people for number one, where it was mm-hmm. just like, that's where it's at. Whoever else hits it, hits it. Uh, but there was a good number, man, like uh, maybe 20 to 30 total, but 10 or so of them were just me. Nice. And I know these are like miniature games. Most of them are like, you know, a minute long. Uh, so? Things like that. But I just felt like these having leaderboards for each of them, it just felt really good to to sit there to and, be grind and grind and yeah. grind. Yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I did a lot of grinding. Uh, when I got my wisdom teeth removed, I was in bed for like three days and that was like the only game I played, dude, was Ultimate NES Remix on 3DS, nice. try, trying to get times on shit. That makes sense. Um, 
So I'm sure quite a few of those times were gotten in that three day period alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was into it for a while, man. I, I always said I was going to hop back on and see if any of my times were still there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I might do that later on just out of curiosity. Hey, but there you go. I felt strongly about it, man. I was really happy about that. When you when you grind something, I think mm-hmm. that's that, that all of these that we bring up have something to do with us putting time into it and grinding it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's only appropriate that I had that, man. Definitely, dude. Um, my number one, this isn't something I talk about too much on the podcast, um, but my old school RuneScape Iron Man account, pretty happy with the progress on there. And the fact that this is number one might surprise some people, but if you play, if you play old school, you would definitely understand just the amount of time that it takes to get into the end game and everything. Um, but yeah, like just stuff like having 2100 total level. Um, which is getting up there for sure, especially on an Iron Man account. And just some of the the items and like in-game gear that I have, like I'm pretty happy with the progress that I've gotten on there in about two years. Um, and I still I still play the account and everything. And I'm I'm really like enjoying the in-game content that's available to me after, you know, progressing the account basically for about two years to be able to do it. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. That's my number one. I've witnessed quite a bit of it, dude. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've, I've sat here and before and after podcasts sometimes and, uh, you know, watched you stream it to me a little bit and yeah. watch you grind bosses and shit like that. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's been so long since I was active on RuneScape, but I mean, uh, I know enough about old school to see the progress you've made and I yeah. don't know shit about Iron Man. So, I, you know, I'm impressed because <laughs> I, I understand the premise of it and it's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it's deserving of number one. I mean, it's kind of like something that's, it's the one thing that's definitely ongoing for you. Definitely. Yeah. It's, and uh, it, it will continue to be for a while. Yeah. So it's only appropriate, man. Uh, as with everything else on this list, my number one is something that wouldn't immediately come up as a number one type of thing, but I have a very specific reason why I chose it as number one. Uh, okay. I would have to find the video on a hard drive. Uh, and I did a little sifting earlier. I, I couldn't come across. I wish I had the exact time. It doesn't matter too much, really. But I, I used to do some speed running with, like, the first Super Mario Bros. And I'd get to, like, 4-2, and then I'd, I'd start to have issues with my run, you know. Uh, so uh, maybe quicker than I should have, I kind of was like, ah. You know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to go for the full game, you know. So I just kind of tried to see what kind of times I can get with that period of the game, that first half or so that I was good at and could actually mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. And I was able to match, you know, some timestamps with, like I said, up to four two. I forgot what trick it was. It was like the vine glitch or something that was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, give, giving me a bit a bit of trouble. But. I, for some reason, I I don't know if I came across the video first or uh, if I just thought about it. Uh, For Super Mario 3D Land, for the 3DS, I I think I came across the video for the current world record on video for a time on 1-1. And I said, you know what? I I never thought about speedrunning a 3D Mario game. Mm -hmm. So I I started grinding it. And I got to tell you, Tyler, it... 
speed running 3D Mario could not be further from speed running 2D Mario. I do know that, yeah. I mean, it's two totally different ball games. So I managed to tie the world record that was currently on video at the time. That's now, awesome. I don't care if I broke it or not. Tying that time felt like such an accomplishment. Definitely. You have no idea. I mean, I must have spent somewhere between a week or two optimizing my run on this one level. Mm -hmm. And in a 3D space, it requires a lot. I can't imagine doing a 3D Mario <laughs> speed run just in the first place. Oh, man. Uh, a whole game... That's intimidating. This stage yeah. enough was a grind, man. But I, I just really felt personally accomplished to even be able to touch that time. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, even if not break it, you know. Definitely. So it, maybe maybe it's a bit of an anticlimactic number one, but for me, that type that's the biggest I feeling that's a of accomplishment. One. You tied the you world know? record <laughs> for one stage, the first stage on a 3DS so, Mario game. I knew that was going to be your number one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I expected that. Yeah, but I mean, this is just us talking about what we're proud of, man. That was a pretty fun list. I I feel like it wasn't actually as humble braggy as I was concerned it might be, because it's yeah. all just stuff that's so specific to us. Yeah, dude, unlocking all characters in Melee, that's definitely not any type of flex. <laughs> no one has, yeah, no one should, would brag about that. Like, I wouldn't say anything on if, these lists are, per, are particularly a flex of any sort, you know what I mean? No, I would agree with that. Nothing that I had is like earth shattering in any way, but it's just nice for us. Definitely. It's earth shattering to us and what we do yep. with our time. And what we do with our time really speaks to what's important to us, bro. You know what we do with our time, Sterling? Are you going to say something about us doing a three shot? Yeah. Well, let's do it with our time. It's time to get into it. Uh, the Steam <laughs> the Steam winter sale was lit. I mean, I can say that for sure. Yeah. Uh, now, that's all ending in three days. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure anyone who uh, doesn't live under a rock and has a PC probably has a Steam account, maybe has browsed sales from time to time on Steam. The winter sale is... Up there. I mean, I, I, I told you, I, I've accumulated so many games on this sale mm -hmm. that I, I can't even go through them at this point. But yeah, Loop Hero kind of simplified that because I kind of started playing that and then I got I got pretty addicted to that. Yeah. Um, but we have some Switch games. But we have some Switch games. Check out the winter sale on Steam. But we found a few for Switch a lot of stuff ending in a day and things like that. We wanted to find the longest life that we could on good games. And in one case on this list, maybe not a good game, but a Unsure. sale, a sale worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. We have our doubts. Uh, the Ninja Gaiden Master Collection, we spoke about this when it was announced. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we got it on a direct or something like that at one point. And we uh, covered it. Talked about how it looked cool. You know, Ninja Gaiden's cool. We like the 8-bit Ninja Gaiden. We like the 3D Ninja Gaiden. Maybe not as much yeah. as the 8-bit, but uh, the collection's on sale. $39.99 to $29.99. 25% off until the 10th of this month, January. Nice. Uh, so, you know, 50% uh, sale, that would maybe be a pickup for me. 25% still not bad. Yeah. 
Good, it's worth noting, though. I think if you haven't played these games, this is a great time to get into it. Definitely. Uh, Double Dragon 4, one that I feel I brought up from time to time early on in the podcast. It might have been a while since I have. Uh, but this is on sale from six ninety nine to three dollars and fifty cents, forty percent off until the sixteenth of this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one I can't recommend enough. I really like the old Double Dragon. I was telling you earlier, uh, it kind of maintains that like exact same assortment of sprites from the mm-hmm. original Double Dragon, while having the background uh, be a little more up to date, like look a sure. little more like something like Devolver Digital does, you know. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, some higher pixel work, but still maintaining that feel and the sprites still being the same, you know. Uh, the third on the list, questionable, but Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl, $49.99 to $34.99, 30% off until the 12th. Uh, we made a conscious choice not to talk about this game before on the podcast because neither of us really had much of an interest in it, but... I, I, we both found it kind of interesting that the game is going on such a drastic sale so early in its life cycle. So similar to kind of like the GTA thing, it, we thought it was worth mentioning from that angle. Yeah, definitely. I, I can tell you for sure. Uh, I don't see myself picking the game up, but you couldn't, be, you couldn't be more spot on. Uh, Three Shop has been nothing but games that we've give for the most part glaring reviews of and actually recommend you spending money on. Mm-hmm. This is one I just thought the sale was notable. Definitely. Uh, like the GTA one. You have to wonder, like I told you earlier, uh, the game can't be performing incredibly well so close to launch if you see a drop like this. Yeah. Uh, we talked about maybe twenty nine ninety nine being a reasonable MSRP for this just based off of what we see. Even that being a bit of a high figure. Uh, but yeah. $50 is pretty steep. You, I mean, when you can actually go buy Smash Ultimate for $10 more, that is steep. Mm-hmm. And you can go buy it used probably for less, you know. Yep. Uh, that'd be interesting to see what, what physicals go for a Smash Ultimate. Because I have a feeling that might be under the spell of people not wanting to get rid of that game. It's possible, but 50 bucks is still a lot for this game regardless. Definitely. So uh, second ever controversial three shop entry. <laughs> I like that. I guess the, the next one will be special because that'll be the third. Uh, the number three. We'll, we'll have, have to get one a, more. We'll have to find one more controversial <laughs> one for sure. Somebody will do it for us, man. Yep. Uh, but I think that brings the first episode of the Star Road podcast of 2022 to a close, Tyler. I'm really excited, man. I, I, I feel like this is just such a like uh, every episode is so specific to us, but this almost more than any other. And uh, we love doing those. Yeah, as far as the structure, man, this was really personal and uh, not so honed in on titles. Just speaking about titles, we really had some pretty wholesome conversation about broad things today. Yeah, which I love, man. Absolutely. But, yeah. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at starroadpodcast at gmail.com. We also post every episode as well as individual segments and clips to our YouTube channel. Sterling has really been coming through with that. Uh, so just want to say thank you again for Sterling for getting those videos up because... Oh, it's nothing, man. 
it's it's been really really nice um but yeah feel free to subscribe to us on youtube drop some comments likes you know share it with your friends etc um but yeah i think that's gonna bring us to the end sterling yep i certainly hope everybody had a happy new year uh we haven't talked resolutions but you know uh, i think our big resolution this year tyler is to excel in what we do and do it happily yeah and play more indie games absolutely so everybody take it easy be safe and enjoy this beginning of the year thank you for listening to the star road podcast peace